Volume Two, Chapter Third of The Antiquary. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Antiquary by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter Third. Clause. You now shall know the king o' the beggar's treasure. Yes, ere to-morrow you shall find your harbour here. Fail me not, for if I live, I'll fit you. The Beggar's Bush The German determined, it would seem, to assert the vantage-ground on which the discovery had placed him, replied with great pomp and stateliness to the attack of the antiquary. Maestro Oldenbuck, all this may be very witty in comedy, but I have nothing to say, nothing at all, to people that will not believe their own eyesights. It is very true that I have not any of these things of the art, and it makes the more wonder what I has done to stay. But I would ask of you, mine honoured and good and generous patron, to put your hand into your right-hand waistcoat pocket, and show me what you shall find there. Sir Arthur obeyed his direction, and pulled out the small plate of silver, which he had used under the adept's auspices, upon the former occasion. "'It is very true,' said Sir Arthur, looking gravely at the antiquary. "'This is the graduated and calculated sigil, by which Mr. Dousterswivel and I regulated our first discovery.' "'Shaw, shaw, my dear friend,' said old Buck. "'You are too wise to believe in the influence of a trumpery crown-piece, beat out thin, and a parcel of scratches upon it. I tell thee, Sir Arthur, that if Dousterswivel had known where to get this treasure himself, you would not have been lord of the least share of it. In troth, please, Your Honour, said Eddie, who put in his word on all occasions. I think, since Mr. Dunkerswivel has had sae muckle merit in discovering either gear, the least ye can do is to guy him that or that's left behind him for his labour. For doubtless that ken where to find sae muckle will I nigh difficulty to find my Douster Swivel's brow grew very dark at this proposal of leaving him to his ain purchase, as Ochiltree expressed it. But the beggar, drawing him aside, whispered a word or two in his ear, to which he seemed to give serious attention. Meanwhile, Sir Arthur, his heart warm with his good fortune, said aloud, "Never mind our friend Monkbarns, Mister Douster Swivel, but come to the castle to-morrow." and I'll convince you that I am not ungrateful for the hints you have given me about this matter. And the fifty Fairport dirty notes, as you call them, are hardly at your service. Come, my lads, get the cover of this precious chest fastened up again. But the cover had in the confusion fallen aside among the rubbish, or the loose earth, which had been removed from the grave. In short, it was not to be seen. Never mind, my good lads. Tie the tarpaulin over it, and get it away to the carriage. Monkbarns, will you walk? I must go back your way to take up Miss Wardour. And, I hope, to take up your dinner also, Sir Arthur, and drink a glass of wine for joy of our happy adventure. Besides, you should write about the business to the Exchequer, in case of any interference on the part of the Crown. As you are lord of the manor, it will be easy to get a deed of gift— should they make any claim. We must talk about it, though. And I particularly recommend silence to all who are present, said Sir Arthur, looking round. All bowed and professed themselves dumb. Why, as to that, said Monkbarns, 
recommending secrecy where a dozen of people are acquainted with the circumstance to be concealed, is only putting the truth in masquerade, for the story will be circulated under twenty different shapes. But never mind, we will state the true one to the barons, and that is all that is necessary. I incline to send off an express to-night, said the baronet. I recommend your honour to a sure hand, said Ochiltree. Little Davy Mailsetter and the butcher's Reistein pony. We will talk over the matter as we go to Monkbarns, said Sir Arthur. My lads, to the workpeople, come with me to the four horseshoes, that I may take down all your names. Dousterswivel, I won't ask you to go down to Monkbarns, as the laird and you differ so widely in opinion, but do not fail to come to see me to-morrow. Dousterswivel growled out an answer, in which the words duty, mine honoured patron, and wait upon Sir Arthur's, were alone distinguishable. And after the baronet and his friend had left the ruins, followed by the servants and the workmen, who, in hope of reward and whisky, joyfully attended their leader, the adept remained in a brown study by the side of the open grave. Who was it as could have thought this? he ejaculated unconsciously. Mine highly kite. I have heard of such things, and often spoken of such things, but sapperment. I never thought to see them, and if I had gone but two were three feet deeper down in the earth. Mine himmel! It had been all mine own, so much more as I have been muddling about to get from this fool's man. Here the German ceased his soliloquy, for, raising his eyes, he encountered those of Eddie Ochiltree, who had not followed the rest of the company, but, resting as usual on his pike-staff, had planted himself on the other side of the grave. The features of the old man, naturally shrewd and expressive, almost to an appearance of knavery, seemed in this instance so keenly knowing, that even the assurance of Dousterswivel, though a professed adventurer, sunk beneath their glances. But he saw the necessity of an eclairissement, and, rallying his spirits, instantly began to sound the mendicant on the occurrences of the day. Good Meister Eddie's Ochiltrees. Eddie Ochiltree, nay, Meister, your poor beadsman and the king's, answered the blue gown. How well then, good Eddie, what do you think of all this? I was just thinking it was very kind, for I dare not say very simple, o oh, your honour to guy the twy rich gentles, why high lands and lairdships and silver without end, this grand pose of silver and treasure three times tried in the fire, as the scripture expresses it, that might have made your cell and only twa or three honest bodies beside, as happy and content as the day was lang. Indeed, Eddie, mine honest friends, dat is very true, only I did not know, that is, I was not sure, where to find the gelt myself. What? Was it not by your honour's advice and counsel that Monkbarns and the knight of Nutgunic came here, then? Ah, yes, but it was by another circumstance. I did not know that they would have found a treasure, mine friend, though I did guess by such a tintamari and cough and sneeze and groan among the spirit one other night here, that there might be treasure and bullion hereabout. Ach, mine himmel, the spirit will hone and groan over his guilt, 
as if he were a Dutch burgomaster, counting his dollars after a great dinner at the Stadthouse. And do you really believe the like of that, Mr. Dusterdivel, a skilful man like you, hot free? Mind friend, answered the adept, forced by circumstances to speak something nearer the truth than he generally used to do. I believed it no more than you, and no man at all, till I did hear them hone and moan, and groan myself on de order night, and till this day I did see the cause, which was ein great chest, all full of de pure silver from Mexico. And what would ye have nigh think den? And what would ye gaite ein said Eddie, that would help ye to sick another kiss full of silver? Give? Mine himmel! one great big quarter of it. Now, if the secret were mine, said the mendicant, I would stand out for half, for, you see, though I'm but a poor ragged body, and couldn't carry silver or gold to sell for fear of being taken up, yet I could find money folk would pass it away for me at uncou muckle easier profit than you're thinking on. Ike, himmel, mine good friend, what was it I said? I did mean to say you should have de tray quarter part for your half, and de one quarter to be my fair half. No, no, Mr. Dostridivin, we will divide equally what we find, like brother and brother. Now, look at this board that I just flung into the dark, I allowed, out of the way. One Monk Barnes was glowering o'er all the silver yonder. He's a sharp child, Monk Barnes. I was glad to keep the like of this out, out of his sight. You maybe can read the character better than me. I'm nigh that book-learned, and at least I'm no that muckle in practice. With this modest declaration of ignorance, Ogletree brought forth from behind a pillar the cover of the box or chest of treasure, which, when forced from its hinges, had been carelessly flung aside during the ardor of curiosity to ascertain the contents which it concealed, and had been afterwards, as it seems, secreted by the mendicant. There was a word and a number upon the plank, and the beggar made them more distinct by spitting upon his ragged blue handkerchief, and rubbing off the clay by which the inscription was obscured. It was in the ordinary black letter. "'Can you make out it?' said Eddie to the adept. "'Us,' said the philosopher, like a child giving his lesson in the primer." S T A R C H. Starch. That is what de woman washers put into de neckerchers and de shirt collar. Search, echoed Ochiltree. Nay, nay, Mr. Dusterdivel, ye are mair of a conjurer than a clerk. It's search, man, search. See, there's the e clear and distinct. Ah, I see it now. It is, search. Number one. Mein Himmel. Then there must be a number two, mine good friend. For search is what she called a seek and dig, and this is but number one. Mine wart, there's one great big prize in de wheel for us, good Meister Ogletree. Aweel, it may be sae, but we cannot hook for it now. We are nice shoes, for they are taking them away, and it's like some of them will be sent back to fling the earth into the hole and make I things tricky in. But in you sit down with me a while in the wood, I satisfy your honour 
that ye had just lighted on the only man in the country that could I told about Malcolm Wisticot and his hidden treasure. But first we'll rub out the letters on this board, for fear it tell tales. And by the assistance of his knife, the beggar erased and defaced the characters so as to make them quite unintelligible, and then daubed the board with clay so as to obliterate all traces of the erasure. Dostroswivel stared at him in ambiguous silence. There was an intelligence and alacrity about all the old man's movements, which indicated a person that could not be easily overreached, and yet, for even rogues acknowledge in some degree the spirit of precedence, our adept felt the disgrace of playing a secondary part, and dividing winnings with so mean an associate. His appetite for gain, however, was sufficiently sharp to overpower his offended pride, and though far more an impostor than a dupe, he was not without a certain degree of personal faith, even in the gross superstitions, by means of which he imposed upon others. Still, being accustomed to act as a leader on such occasions, he felt humiliated at feeling himself in the situation of a vulture marshalled to his prey by a carrion crow. Let me, however, hear this story to an end, thought Dousterswivel, and it will be hard if I do not make mine account in it, better as Master Eddie Ogletree's makes proposes. The adept, thus transformed into a pupil from a teacher of the mystic art, followed Ogletree in passive acquiescence to the prior's oak, a spot, as the reader may remember, at a short distance from the ruins, where the German sat down and silence waited the old man's communication. Meister Dustinsnivel, said the narrator, it's an uncool while since I heard this business treated anent, for the lairds of Knockwinnock, neither Sir Arthur nor his father, nor his grandfather, and I mind a wee bit about the mile, like to hear it spoken about, nor they didn't like it yet. But now, matter, you may be sure it was clattered about in the kitchen, like anything else in a great house though it were forbidden in the high. And say I heard the circumstance rehearsed by old servants in the family, and in their present days, when things o' uh, that eyed world, sort o' a rain o' in mind, round winter firesides as they used to be, I question if there's anybody in the country can tell the tale but myself. I outtaken the laird, though, for there's a parchment book about it, as I heard, in the charter room at Knockwinnock Castle. Well, all that is very well, but get you on with your stories, my good friend," said Dousterswivel. "How weird ye see," continued the mendicant. "This was a job in the old times, a ruggin and reevin through the hide country, when it was alike, ain for himself and gold for his eye, when I men wanted property if he had strength to take it, or had it langer than he had power to keep it. It was just." He o'er her, and she o'er him, whichever could win upmost. I through the east country here, and night out through the rest of Scotland, in the self and same manner. Sighing these days, Sir Richard Wardour came into the land, and that was the first of the name ever was in this country. There's been money of them since sighing, and the mice, like him, they cried hell in harness, and the rest of them are sleeping down in yon ruins. They were proud, dour set of men, but unco brave, and I stood up for the wheel of the country. God, sign the mile. 
there's no muckle popery in that wish. They'd call them the Norman Wardours, though they came from the south of this country. So this Sir Richard, that they called Red Hand, drew up with the old Nookwinnock o' the day. For then they were Nookwinnocks of that ilk, and would fain marry his only daughter, that was to have the castle and the land. Laith, Laith was the lass. Sibyl Nookwinnock, they'd called her, that told me the tale. Laith, Laith was she to guy into the march, for she had fine a wee o'er thick with a cousin o' her ain, that her father had some ill will to. And sight was, that after she had been married to Sir Richard Jim four months, for marry him she mon it's like. You'll no hinder her, guying them a present of ony bonny knave bairn. Then there was a sicken and a kythro, and as a like was never seen, and she's be burnt and he's be slain, was the best words of their mouse. But it was always soutered up again some gate, and the baron was sent away, and bred up near the highlands, and grew up to be a fine wano fellow, like moneyine that's come out the wrong side of the blanket. And Sir Richard with the red hand, he had a fair offspring i his own, and all was lound and quiet, till his head was laid in the ground. But then down came Malcolm Mysticot, Sir Arthur says it should be misbegot, but they aye kied him misticot that spoke at long syne. Down came this Malcolm, the love begot, by Glenisla, with a string o' long-legged highlanders at his heels, that's aye ready for anybody's mischief, and he threeps the castle in lands, ire his ain as his mother's eldest son, and turns aye the waters out to the hill. There's a sort of fighting and blood spilling about it for the gentles took different sides. But Malcolm had the uppermost for a long time, and keep at the castle of Nookwinnock, and strengthened it, and built that muckle tower that they call Mysticot's tower to this day. Mine good friend, old Mr. Eddie Ogletree, interrupted the German, this is all as one like de long histories of a baron of sixteen quarters in mine countries, but I would as rather hear of de silver and gold. We, you see, continued the mendicant, this Malcolm was weel-hilped by an uncle, a brother of his father's, that was prior of St. Ruth here, and muckle treasure they gathered between them to secure the succession of their house in the lands of Knockwinnock. Folk said that the monks in thy days had the art of multiplying metals. At any rate, they were very rich. At last it came to this, that the young wardar, that was Redhand's son, challenged Mysticot to fight with him in the lists, as they cried it. That's no list or tailor's runes and selvages a claith, but a palin thing they set up for them to fight in, like gamecocks. Howeel, Mysticot was beaten, and at his brother's mercy, but he wouldn't touch his life for the blood of Nookwinnock that was in bite their veins. So Malcolm was compelled to turn a monk, and he died soon after in the priory of pure despite and vexation. Nobody ever kenned where his uncle the prior heired him, or what he did with his guide and silver, for he stood on the right o' highly kirk and would give no account to anybody. But the prophecy got abroad in the country, that whenever Mr. Goat's grave was found out, the estate of Knockwinnock should be lost and won. Ach, mine good old friend, Maister Eddie, and that is not so very unlikely if Sir Arthur's will quarrel with his good friends to please Mr. Oldenbuck, 
and so you do think that dis golds and silvers belonged to good mr malcolm mishdigoat troth do i mr dousterdivin and you do believe that there is more of dat sorts behind why my certy do i how can it be otherwise search number one that is a muckle as to say search and you'll find number two besides yon cast is only silver and i heard that mr gott's pose had muckle yellow gold in it then my good friends said the adept jumping up hastily why do we not set about our little job directly for twy good reasons answered the beggar who quietly kept his sitting posture first because as i said before we had nothing to dig with for they had taken away the picks and shoes and secondly because there be a wheen idle gowks coming to glower at the hole as lang as it's daylight and maybe the laird may send somebody to fill it up and anyway we wad be catched but if you will meet me on this place at twy o'clock with a dark lantern i'll have tools ready and we'll gang quietly about our art job our twy selves and naebody the wiser for it be be what mine good friend said dousterswivel from whose recollection his former nocturnal adventure was not to be altogether erased even by the splendid hopes which Eddie's narrative held forth it is not so good or so safe to be about good master mishdigot's grab at that time o' night ye have forgot how i told you the spirits did hone and moan there i do assure you there is disturbance there if you're afraid of geis answered the mendicant coolly i'll do the job myself and bring your share of the siller to any place you'd like to appoint no no mine excellent old mr eddie too much trouble for you i will not have dat i will come myself and it will be better most for mine old friend it was i herman dousterswivel discovered master mishdigot's grave when i was looking for a place as to put away some little trumpery coins just to play one little trick on my dear friend sir arthur for a little sport and pleasures yes i did take some what you call rubbish and did discover maister mishdigot's own monument it's like that he meant i should be his heirs so it would not be civility in me not to come myself for mine inheritance at twelve o'clock then said the mendicant we meet under this tree i'll watch for a while and see that nobody meddles with the grave it's only saying the lairds forbade it then get my bit supper for i ring in the pointer up by and leave to sleep in his barn and i'll slip out at night and near be missed do so mine good maister eddie and i will meet you here on this very place though all the spirits should moan and sneeze their very brains out so saying he shook hands with the old man and with this mutual pledge of fidelity to their appointment they separated for the present End chapter third